Well, this Easter Sunday morning, I would invite you to turn first to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in our, our main text, which is Hebrews chapter 10, uh, here in a little while. But let's start with, with Luke chapter 24. And I want to begin just by reading the story of the resurrection from the uh, gospel account of Luke. So Luke 24, verses 1 through 9. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. Now, Tracy already gave us a hint from a previous gospel that this is some of the women who were going to take care of the body of Christ. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. We celebrate today, Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without any qualifications, the absolute greatest moment in all of human history. The greatest event that ever took place was the resurrection of God himself. We've spent the last few weeks talking about sacrifices in the Old Testament. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Abraham and we looked at Isaac. And as we examined God's call for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, uh, we saw how it pointed to our own lives being Isaac and the one who, who provided a replacement sacrifice for us. It points to Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the Passover, and as we discussed the Passover and talked about the Passover in the book of Exodus, we were reminded that God provided a blood lamb for our sins and for the sins of the people. And so you and I have redemption and forgiveness by following the specific requirements that God has for us, namely, trust in the blood to forgive our sins. And the Passover, too, points to Christ. But we could have done a whole series on sacrifices in the Old Testament, but spoiler alert, every single one of those Old Testament sacrifices points to the same place. Every single one points to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This morning our text is in Hebrews chapter 10. I would encourage you to, to turn there. We're going to spend almost all the rest of our time in Hebrews chapter 10. The theme of the book of Hebrews, if you ever decide to read it and, and pick up a copy of God's Word, when you turn to Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is this, Jesus is better. So no matter where you read in Hebrews, if you keep that theme in mind, it will help make sense. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews begins in chapter 1 by telling us that angels are great beings, but Jesus is better. There is no created being that holds a candle to who Jesus is. He just is superior than angels. He's superior than men. And in Hebrews chapter 10, he's superior to every other sacrifice that has ever been made. Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice that all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to. So read with me in Hebrews 
chapter 10, verses 3 through 7, and then also verse 10. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 3, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will. O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Down in verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. The sacrifice of Christ was the last sacrifice needed. Have you ever wondered why we don't do sacrifices anymore? Maybe you haven't, because maybe you like animals, and, and I like animals, and you think, I'm glad that we don't come to church on a weekly basis or a quarterly basis or an annual basis and watch Pastor Trey take a lamb and slaughter it and sprinkle blood all over the place. It was a pretty nasty ordeal, really, as you read about the sacrifices. Have you ever wondered why they stopped? Have you ever wondered why some religions continue to do it, but the Christian faith ceases their sacrifices? Of course, you know the answer. The answer is, we have had a sacrifice in Jesus Christ, who is a perfect sacrifice once and for all. There is no longer a need for additional sacrifice. And as a writer of Hebrews wants to teach us, the sacrifice of Christ is better. It just is better. But we have to ask ourselves a question, what made his sacrifice different and why was it better? Why was it greater than all the other thousands of sacrifices that had taken place before it? So this morning, during our time together in God's Word, we're going to answer that question. How was Jesus' sacrifice better? Three things I want to share with you. First is that Jesus' sacrifice was all-encompassing. It was all-encompassing. It covered every aspect. As you read in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, how many of you guys have read through Leviticus lately? Anybody read through Leviticus lately? I saw one hand almost start to go up and then thought, no, that was Deuteronomy. It's easy to get those books confused, right? The book of Leviticus gives us a lot of laws on offerings and sacrifices, and, and it's a difficult read. But let's be honest, it's a tough read, but it's a necessary read. Let me encourage you, slowly, not quickly all at once, but slowly read through Leviticus especially when you're reading about the sacrifices, and do a little studying. At some point when you're, you're ready to take on some heavy Bible study, read the book of Leviticus, and those first five chapters, you're going to see described five different offerings, completely different, separate from each other. They don't all accomplish the same thing. They're all five have different specific purposes. Three of them were, were kind of voluntary, as-needed sacrifices. They weren't required, but they were... They were encouraged. The first one was called the burnt offering. And in the burnt offering, you would bring your animal, and the entire animal, except for the skin, was burned as an offering to God. And what this burnt offering was for was uh, to, to show yourself before God completely and totally devoted. None of the animal was consumed or eaten. It was all given to God as a symbol of our lives, all being given to God. 
So from time to time, someone would bring an animal that they could afford, give it to the priest, and he would completely consume all the meat in the animal. He would burn it and carry it away. The second offering was called a grain offering. Remember when we talked about Cain and Abel, how, how he worked the land, and there was some worry that maybe his, his offering of produce wasn't as good as the offering of meat? Well, the grain offering proves this wrong. God accepts what he calls a grain offering. You'll like this one. It was often packaged in the form of a, a cake or some sort of a bread, something sweet that you would offer to the priest and then would share in consuming and eating together. It was a good opportunity to eat sweets is what it was. Um, so you would bring your offering before God. Part of it was burned to him, but a priest ate a portion of the baked bread and shared, reminding us to be thankful for how God has provided for us. It was, it was God, you're good to give me this produce and this harvest. I give you a portion and I sacrifice it to you, a grain offering of expressing thankfulness. The third was called a peace offering. And the peace offering also expressed thanksgiving, but it also expressed fellowship with one another. This is what I might call the Baptist offering, okay? Because in this offering, you would bring an animal uh, before the priest. Most of the animal became meat for a feast. There were parts of it, specific organs that were burned to God, but the rest of it would be cooked. The priest would get the best part of the meat. And then the rest of it would go to your family or whoever was present at the offering. And it was a fellowship meal together, a reminder to be thankful for God's goodness and the fellowship we have with him. Those three were kind of as-needed offerings. You bring them to God to express devotion, to give thanks for him providing, to be thankful for the fellowship you have with God and with others. But the other two were mandatory offerings. They were required of every Israelite. The first was called the sin offering. The sin offering uh, was, was where you would bring an animal that your family economic status could afford. So if you were, were very uh, low uh, income or, or uh, not wealthy, you might bring uh, a bird. If you were kind of an average, everyday woman, you might bring a, a lamb. If you were an average, everyday man, you might bring a ram. And you worked your way up, you might bring, if you're the priest, you would bring a, a bull for your sin offering. Depending on your socioeconomic status, depended on what you would bring before God. And in this offering, again, most of it was consumed or eaten by the priests and the Levites. Specific parts of it were burned to God. And this offering was made specifically to cleanse you and atone you to God. That is, make you right before God. Often the sin offering was, was made when someone had been defiled in some way. They were unclean, either because of a sin they committed or because of contact that they made that they shouldn't have. And the sin offering was made to cleanse you of that sin or of that uncleanliness. The fifth offering is called the trespass offering. It also was an atonement offering. But it was specifically for a sin that you commit, most likely unintentional, accidentally, that required reimbursement. So because of something you did, maybe a neighbor's animal died, and now you had a requirement to, to pay for that animal on his behalf, you would go and do this trespass offering. The trespass offering was always a ram, always, no exceptions. 
always a male sheep or goat, a ram, that was offered on behalf of your sin to make you right with God, and then for you to make it right with whoever you sinned against. Five different offerings with five different implications. We've not even talked about on top of that. Leviticus goes on to describe, I think it's down all the way in chapter 16, what they call the Day of Atonement. And this was the big sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice multiple animals. First, a bull for his own sin. And then he would sacrifice uh, two rams, one which he would prepare and slaughter and sacrifice as a burnt offering, and one which he would symbolically lay the sins of the nation on and release alive into the wild. It's where we get the word scapegoat. The sins of the nation are placed on this ram, released into the wilderness to remove sins from the nation of Israel. There were additional sacrifices that were made. All in all, there were somewhere around four or five animals that were slaughtered. The blood was sprinkled on the holy seat where God would sit on the Ark of the Covenant. It was the only time all year that anyone entered into what the, the Israelites called the Holy of Holies. That is, the very room where God lived. Not spiritually or metaphorically, but literally God's presence. Once a year, the priests would go on the Day of Atonement and make things right for the nation of Israel. These sacrifices were, were required, but none of them actually accomplished what they set out to do. Not a one of them accomplished any forgiveness of sin. Not a one of them actually caused fellowship. Not a one of them is the reason for God's provision. All of them were symbolic. They all pointed forward. Which is why in Hebrews chapter 10, and we didn't even read this yet, in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. That is this. All of those Old Testament sacrifices, the five and then the Day of Atonement, all of those had no substance to them whatsoever. They literally only pointed forward to an ultimate and perfect sacrifice. I think it's fitting that Jesus did not die on the cross six times for us. He didn't die on the cross once for our devotion, and once for God's provision, and another time for our fellowship, and another time for our sin, and another time for our unintentional trespass, and then another time for our nation, Christ died once for all. His one sacrifice was all-encompassing. Hebrews 10.4 says, It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near but Christ can. What we find is, is that God provided a perfect sacrifice that took care of our sin, our fellowship, our devotion, all of it wrapped in one. Every single one of those sacrifices pointed to the cross of Christ, and Jesus' sacrifices were better because it covered every aspect of your life. It covered your thankfulness, it covered your struggle, it covered your sin, it covered your rejoicing. It covered your fellowship. It covered everything that you are. The singular sacrifice that Jesus accomplished did everything that these sacrifices attempted to symbolize. 
Jesus' sacrifice was all-encompassing. And secondly, Jesus' sacrifice was better because it was eternally satisfying. Eternally satisfying. How often did, did someone go forth and, and present a burnt offering or a grain offering or, or a peace offering? How often was it that they came and, and took place in a, a sin offering or a trespass offering? Well, it was a daily task for the priest to do these sacrifices. Every day there was someone that needed to offer and sacrifice something. How often did the Day of Atonement come along? Every year for the entire existence of Israel, every single year that Day of Atonement had to be done over and over and over and over and over again. That sacrifice only lasted until the next time you sinned. It only lasted until the next time that God provided for you and you needed to express thankfulness again. It only lasted until the next time the calendar rolled around and the Day of Atonement was here again. But Jesus' sacrifice, it satisfies for all eternity. Hebrews 10.10 10 said exactly that. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. As the Old Testament sacrifices were constantly repeated, the sacrifice of Christ is once and for all. But why? Why doesn't Jesus have to die on the cross over and over and over again? You know, a, a good Sunday school kid who grew up in a church will tell you it's because he's God, and that's true. It's because he could accomplish what none of those other sacrifices could. That's great. For an inquisitive person like me, I have to ask, why? Why was Jesus? Why was his sacrifice eternally satisfying? I tell you, the main reason why it satisfies for all of eternity is the same reason why you're sitting here this morning. What made Jesus' sacrifice eternally satisfying and so much better is that Jesus doesn't stay sacrificed. He doesn't stay dead. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us that eternal satisfaction, that gives God that eternal atonement, Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It'll be up on the screen. You can jot it down and read it later. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by a man came death, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. It's the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that means you don't have to pay for your sins with your death. It is a resurrection of Jesus Christ that means you have eternal life. The resurrection is what makes it possible for us to live eternally. It's what makes it impossible for us to resurrect as well in the next life. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes his sacrifice so much better because it's not a symbolic releasing of a goat. It is the killing of the sacrificial lamb and the bringing back to life. Jesus' sacrifice is eternally satisfying. You never have to worry whether or not Jesus is going to stop forgiving you because everything that was done on the cross was overcome in the resurrection and bind you for all of eternity in Christ to the Father. 
Most importantly, and thirdly, Jesus' sacrifice is universally available to anyone and to everyone. As you read through the Old Testament, especially as you dig into your study in Leviticus that I know you guys are going to start this week, as you start to read about who can come before the throne of God, you start to see some very specific restrictions. Some can go so far, some have to stay far away. Some can offer a ram, some can only offer a bird. Some can sacrifice weekly, others do it as they can afford, maybe annually. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were restricted and they were limiting. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it's universally available to anyone and everyone. As we continue to read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, what we see is that God's desire is to change not just our actions so we sacrifice properly. That's taken care of. God's desire is to change our hearts. And in doing so, he completely blots out and forgives all sin that we've committed. Look down in Hebrews 10, verses 16 and 17 with me. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, that is, after the resurrection, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write them on your minds. Now listen to this beautiful verse. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Are you worthy to approach the cross and the resurrection of Christ? Are you worthy to stand in the presence of God? When you look at your sins, do you feel so dirty that you would not possibly dare speak to the Creator who is perfect? According to Hebrews chapter 10, when you approach the throne of Christ for salvation, your sins are not just erased, they are forgotten. I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their lawless deeds no more. Perhaps today you came Easter Sunday because it's traditionally what you do on Sunday mornings. Easter Sunday, every year you get dressed up, you take a few pictures, you look at the flowers that are starting to bloom, maybe you have a big breakfast or a big lunch. You gather together for worship because it's what you do. Can I tell you this morning, if you hear nothing else, if you have no other uh, truth that you gain from scriptures this morning, know this. Jesus Christ died and rose again so that you don't have to leave here the same. You do not have to carry your sins out that door. The salvation of Jesus Christ is universally applicable to you and to me. God's desire is that you draw near to him. Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is pure forgiveness, ultimate salvation. Don't let the tradition of an Easter service Keep you from examining your own heart and saying, God, have I trusted you as a perfect sacrifice for my sins? Have I put my faith and trust in you? Would you draw near to God with a true heart, with confidence 
in the faith of your salvation. And most importantly, because your hearts have been sprinkled clean by that perfect sacrifice. We may try a multitude of things for salvation. We may try all that we can to, to get rid of our guilt and our history and our past, but there is only one sacrifice that is perfect. Only one that is available to all. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ can we be made right with God. Can we pray this morning? Father, we come before you because your sacrifice was perfect. Father, we deserved that death. And our substitute, Jesus Christ, died in our place. Father, as we, we celebrate his resurrection, we're reminded that he not only died for us, but he provides life for us through his resurrection. So Lord, let us trust not in, not in the multitude of things we sacrifice on earth, but on the sacrifice in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, there is nothing that washes away our sins except the perfect sacrifice in the blood of Jesus. Amen.